what is it? You can't put toothpaste back you in. You can't put... Oh. And when we speak our words, we can't bring them back. Is that it? That's the point of tonight. Thanks, Ollie. I got him to do it because he's more fun than me. <laughs> and he's used to you people. But anyhow, can we have a lectern? That would be great. <laughs> very good, very good. Thank you. Last week, we started our series on James, dear old James, who is the brother of... And there were four lots of James in the New Testament. We got it down to them thanks to Danny's scholastical academic work. Thank you, Danny, for taking us there. James, the brother of Jesus. And James lived with Jesus. And James was there and he heard Jesus speak. He heard the words that came out of his mouth as a child, as a teenager. He heard how he spoke to his mother. He listened to how he spoke to his father and his brothers and his siblings and the strangers and the people at the synagogue. How then did Jesus speak? Because James grew up hearing the words that came out of Jesus. But James also was absolutely, uh, what do you say, indoctrinated is probably the word, was the Old Testament scriptures. They had to learn them off by heart. That was their schooling, okay? And they had proverbs probably thrown at them all the time about what not to do and what to do. And they knew the proverbs. Jesus knew the proverbs. James, as we know from last week, wrote his book, because he understood the importance of wisdom, the Proverbs, and teaching. But he also knew the teachings of Jesus. I'm going to put very quickly on the screen, I've got seven, I think, uh, sayings from a pro chapter from Proverbs that I read this week, all about the tongue. If you ever read Proverbs, just highlight and count how many times tongue or mouth or words is used and come and tell me. You might get a prize. I did look it up because I can't count very well. Um, here is the first one. You got it? Now you need to turn that round to make, say, make it say the opposite. Yell it out when you think you've got it. Online, you do it. So what is it, what's the opposite of this? Thank you, Winnie. You're the only one really doing it tonight. I'll, count, I'll shout you a coffee tomorrow or whatever day you're in the office, okay? Because you're the only one participating. Do I speak to you for the rest of the night? Come on, join us. Here's the next one. See if you can beat Winnie. Tongue of the wise makes knowledge good. Good on you, Toby. Next one. Mouth of fool pours out folly. Someone from this side, come on. I've got Wayne and Winnie and a few here. Anyone here got it? You got it? Someone? Thank you. You're not getting a second coffee. Uh, here's the next one. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. What would you do with that one? You got one? Yell it out because I can't hear. Okay. 
or as a dead branch, whatever you like. Lips of the wise spread knowledge. You got it, very good. Those slow to anger, calm contention, gracious words are pure. It hasn't come up, oh well. See, we've got another, lips of the wise spread knowledge. We've done that one? Okay, the slow, slow to anger, calm contention. You got it? Good, opposite of contention. Calm contention, those quick to speak do other stuff. Gracious, the next one is gracious words are pure. <laughs> Toby, did you get full marks in English? Absolutely. <laughs> Unwise words are dirty. The mouth of the next one, the mouth of the righteous ponders an answer. That's a little bit harder. The mouth of the righteous ponders an answer. We'll go straight to Jane's and get that one where it says slow to speak, slow to, quick to listen, and slow to anger. And that means we ponder the answer. You know, I used to go to lots of staff meetings because I was in the education world. And uh, I used to have to write up the top of my little agenda that you get. Sandy, be slow to speak. I thought I would be slow tonight. Slow to speak. But it doesn't mean that. It means something else. So we've imagined Jesus and James living together and how he spoke to his mother. I want to read from uh, Matthew what Jesus said about the tongue and the mouth. Now, this to me seems pretty simple, but notice who didn't get it, okay? So this is what the Word of God says from Matthew 15. Hey, when I read the Word of God, how about we all stand up? That's good. Honour the Word of God amongst us today. Read from the screen if you like. Matthew 15, 10 to 20 Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, listen and understand. It's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then his disciples approached him and said, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard you, what you said? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And the one blind person guides another. Both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to them, explain this proverb to us. Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Don't you see what goes into the mouth, enters the stomach, comes out and defiles the person? That's what defiles For out of the heart comes evil. I've lost it up there. I'll go here. Um, Explain it. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. For out of the heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile the person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Have a seat. Thanks for standing and honoring the reading of the word. Well, who didn't get it? when this was read in the first place? 
The disciples didn't understand it. The followers of Jesus didn't understand it. And the Pharisees must have understood it because they took offence. So very, very briefly, I've got to go right up here because I can't jump that far. I'm not like the Tom. <laughs> so here we have out of the mouth. Oh, okay. <laughs> Blue lipstick. So what goes into the mouth, McDonald's, junk food, all of that kind of stuff, my healthy water and food, what goes in actually goes to the stomach and that comes out the other end. Believe me, the Jewish people had a prayer about this every time they went to the bathroom. Thank you very much. I need you, Wendy, to actually rub that off with one of your tissues in a minute. So what Jesus was saying was it's not, this is not what defiles us. That's a natural process from just living. It's what is in here down, you like my heart? Not in the same shape of the mouth. It's what's here that comes out the mouth is what defiles us. And we know that this is where what we are, who we are really is. This week, I was actually trying to scrub something that was really, really hard to scrub. You know, when you, it's your turn to do the dishes and they burnt something? My turn. And I was a little angry. I don't really know what I was angry at because I couldn't do much about it, but I didn't like the fact that I had to clean it. You with me on that one? And someone said something to me, and out of my mouth were unkind words. They were not necessarily addressed to her, but it exposed what was in my heart. Because the mouth expresses what's in our hearts. And that's why we have such strong teaching from our dear friend James about the tongue. Now, if you read James, you could have an October challenge. See how many times you can read James. Okay? You're up for that October challenge? My watch says your October challenge is to get so many steps. I don't take any notice of it. But <laughs> I do just invite you for that one. So here we have uh, this wonderful verse and the fact that the words are there and they express what's in our heart. Now there's lots and lots of simple teaching in the book of James about the tongue. I'm going to put up some verses. They both knew the scriptures. Remember the one that we've talked about. Let you be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. That sums it all up. Last week I talked about this one, chapter 1 and verse 26. If anyone thinks they are religious and don't bridle or control their tongues, they deceive their hearts and their religion is worthless. What we say about our opinions, how we talk about people, what we do, that we are deceived. I am deceived so jolly easily. I think this and out comes that. And that's the true representation of my heart. You help me, you catch me out if you hear me with unkindness or lack of gentleness or saying something when I shouldn't. Chapter 3 is pretty powerful. It says not many of us should be teachers. Now, this is not about handling the word of God, this passage of scripture. 
It's about our language and our tongues. It's about what's in our heart. Because we get up there and we teach, okay? And we can teach whatever we like. But down here, when we get out, we may not be true to what God is saying. So there's that warning for us that we need to make sure that our heart is good and it is right with God. So chapter 3, we've got this little verse in the midst of a whole lot of stuff on the tongue. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is mature. I've yet to arrive, okay? But I'm on the journey to maturity. Anyone who makes no mistakes... In, is, in speaking is mature, able to keep their whole body in check with a bridle. It talks about putting bits in the mouth of a horse and it talks about rudders in a ship, but then it goes around about our tongue. This tongue can cause damage and it does constantly cause damage. It causes dissension, it causes splits. And it causes a whole lot of inner, what you call, damage to a person who gets hurt because we're not wise in what we say. And James says this, also in chapter 3, how great a forest is set alight by such a small fire. The tongue is like a fire. It's placed among our members in a world of iniquity. It stains our whole body. It sets on fire the cycle of life. And it is set on fire by hell. But no one can tame the tongue. A restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless God. We sing praises. We come to church. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes a blessing and a curse. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and sour or brackish water? Can a fig tree put anything else but figs? I've lost the verse. Can it yield olives or grape vines? No, more than salt water yields flesh. I'm not really sure what happened there. Is it like that? Good. In chapter four, we have this one. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Do not judge. It goes on. There's one lawgiver. Comes back to you are created in the image of God. I am created in the image of God. Let's let's honour and respect by how we speak. When we speak and who we speak to. So how do I tame the tongue? Look. The teaching about the tongue is there. It's powerful. Read it. Read it weekly if you have troubles. Read it over and over again. And then come to this, come to this sense of, I need to tame my tongue. But how on earth do I do it? Because it says in the scriptures, it's impossible. Proverbs gives us a little verse. Guard your tongue. You heard that one? Guard your tongue with all vigilance. For out of it comes springs of life. I can bring death. I can bring life. I can bring encouragement. I can bring despair. But James, if we're going to look at what James says about 
how we can be controlled and how we can make sure our heart has that compassionate, kind, fruit of the spirits, loving kindness, patience, gentleness, all of that that's in it. And it comes from Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. I'm just going to go through the scriptures. And the first one says, submit yourselves to God. What a jolly good place to start. I'd like to say I do this every day and through the day, but sometimes I've confessed, I forget. But mostly I like to start my day saying, here I am, God, I want to submit again. But, you know, through the day I've got to do that because I like to get my own way. And when I feel that tension, I need to say, God, I submit to you. I give myself anew to you. Then it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's not the devil's fault that you gossip. It's not the devil's fault that you tell lies. It's not the devil's fault that you bless and sing and curse. It's your pop fault. The devil there is cheering you on and saying, go for it, go for it. Remember, he's a liar, and he's going to tell you lies all the time. So you can't blame the devil. He's just cheering you on to do the wrong thing. I submit to God, I submit to God and I say, the devil, I'm not listening to your lies. I am going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into my life. This, these, this verse, these verses we're going through, this little process is the full picture of what repentance looks like. It's not, I'm sorry, and then on our way and do it again. This is a picture of repentance. Submit to God. Say, get lost, Satan, and do not tell me lies. I take ownership that I'm the sinner here and I'm in the wrong, and I am going to draw near to God, and I'm going to sit in his presence, and I'm going to stay there and say I'm sorry, and I'm going to hang around until I know that something has happened in my life and the Spirit of God has done something here to assure me that I belong to the Spirit. Resist the devil, draw near to God, God will draw near to you. And then it says, cleanse your heart, hands. This is where our behavior comes from. Out here, it's our behavior that comes from in here. Purify your hearts. Give me a pure heart, O oh Lord. May I not resist your spirit or hurt your spirit. Keep me strong and single-minded. This is how we work towards repentance. And then it says lament and mourn and weep. For goodness sake, at some stage, cry about how you've affected God and someone else. That's true repentance, okay? How am I affecting the body of believers? How am I affecting this other person? God, forgive me. I've never seen it like that way before. I would cry. And this is James saying, get down there and weep about your sin. Don't laugh. It's not a joke that you're laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to dejection, sitting there saying, God, it's me that's the problem. My heart needs the change. And I humble myself before you, my God. You be the one that leads and guides, and may you be the one that exalts me. That, my friends, is repentance. And we are very short on repentance 
quick sometimes to say sorry, but not very quick to hang around and know the true meaning of repentance. Over to you, Danny. I don't know what you need up here. I'll just take my drink. I was um, with the kids this week and following on from Sandy and as a way of segueing into what I want to talk about uh, because it is still part of words actually impact us. The words of others that come out of our mouths shape how we influence, how we affect other people. But there are words everywhere in our society, in our culture. And I was at a bookshop. Uh, actually, we weren't in a bookshop. We were in a sort of, uh, what was it, Target or something like that. The kids were run, wandering around and I spotted a book. And actually, this book has been on my radar. I'm not going to mention the title of the book because I don't want to endorse it in this space, but you can come and talk to me afterwards. And I just thumbed through it. And I flicked over to a, a page that caught my attention and, and the words were, you can change your identity in two steps. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to read on. And was talking about changing the way that I am by the things that I do. And that caught my attention. Because actually the reason we're talking about James over the next few weeks, last week and another two weeks, is because actually this is not how we submit or think of ourselves in relationship to Jesus. Actually, Jesus wants to change me. It's not what I do that changes who I am, even though I think I can. It's actually Jesus in my life that goes about transforming the words that I use and the behavior that I carry in my heart that comes out. And that took me to a quote that I read previously, and I saved it. And the quote is simply this. It's going to be on the screen. Knowledge is only rumor until it lives in your bones. It's from Papua New Guinea. It's a tribal saying. Knowledge is only a rumor until it lives in your bones. In other words, when we're dealing with James, it's not just the head stuff that's important for us. It's actually the actions that come out from listening to what the words are saying, listening to what James is saying, listening to the Spirit through the Scriptures as we go about living our daily lives. Forget about knowledge, it's actually about practice, something that lives inside you. And actually that took me back to a hero of mine, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Bonhoeffer was in the Second World War and he was a man that had to struggle right through to the very end where he died in prison. And at one point he said this, what is bothering me of all the things that he, was, that he could have been bothered about and he's suffering, it says here, what is bothering me incessantly is the question, what Christianity really is, or indeed, who Christ really is for us today. That was bothering him. Who is Christ for us today in 2023? Who is Christ for you? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? How can my words, how can my actions follow the way that Jesus wants me to live, because that's what James wants us to do. He doesn't want to give us knowledge for knowledge's sake. He's saying, I want you to live differently because the world says you can read all these books and do all these things and change your life, whereas what we're saying is follow Jesus, he will change your life. And so the other connection from that quote was another, another book that I was reading called The Deeply Formed Life, and Rick Yoda says this, who are we? really for Christ today? It's a, it's a flip of the question that Bonhoeffer was asking. Bonhoeffer was saying, who is Jesus 
in his context, in the situation that he found himself in, and we can ask that question of ourselves. But Rich Villota says, who are we when it comes to serving Christ? And this is what James is tapping into. He's saying, I want you to talk differently because the communities around you are talking a certain way, but your followers of Jesus, I want you to talk differently. And so not only are we dealing with language or words, we're also dealing with favoritism. And this is James chapter 2. Can I read it out to us? You can find it, James chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man is fil- in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here, a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? If you, are, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. In the last two verses... Speak, there it is again, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over justice. James wants us to pay attention to justice issues. He wants us to pay attention to what we might call ethics, how we treat one another And it's a reflection of what God was trying to do in the Old Testament all that time by instilling good laws that would help those that couldn't um, help themselves, for those that wouldn't fit in. And so I don't know if you picked up in the the second verse, suppose a man comes into your meeting. And I thought about this, and uh, it's very easy for us to think about meeting as what we're doing here or what's happening online. But suppose I don't use the word meeting and actually substitute the word meeting for the word table. Because if you don't like a certain meeting, you just leave the meeting and you go to another meeting, you go to another gathering. But actually, the table is much more, it's a rich expression of what we're dealing with here. Because every one of us has experienced table in different ways. There are different cultures that don't even have tables, but they still experience what I described as the table, this idea of people coming together. 
And so Jesus instituted this. He, he got his disciples and he gathered them around. There were tax collectors that shouldn't have gone along with fishermen, who shouldn't have gone along with other people that were different in the society system. And yet Jesus brings them around a table and he says, you can be part of this table. But actually Jesus, it shouldn't have worked. It shouldn't have worked to have all these different types of people around this table. But it did work because Jesus became the center of the table. Actually, the table wasn't because of all the things, all the right things that these different people did with Jesus. It wasn't about uh, making sure that they didn't uh, oppose Jesus or getting angry or, or anything like that. Actually, Jesus made himself the center of this table, and that's why all these different people could gather around. Paul then comes along, the Apostle Paul, and he's working with the early church, and the early church still have some disruptions and disconnection around what it means to, 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 to be together. And he works with the, the early Christians to say, the table is a good place. When you gather, this is a good thing. When you are a Gentile, you actually have the same position as if you are a Jew. If you are a woman and man, or if you're a slave and free, you can be part of God's table. And he institutes this through Jesus. It doesn't work, except that Jesus is in the center. And so James comes along, and he reminds his listeners how to put into practice this very example. What does it mean to gather together in a way that doesn't show favoritism? And so I don't know if you picked up that, that picture of the man with a gold ring. It, it's, it's fascinating to think about someone who might walk in that has a certain status by what they wear. And actually, as I thought about this, this doesn't really work for us because actually in our society, in our culture, uh, at least in this group, we're fairly consistent. Launceston is a fairly consistent place. I know not everybody's story is the same and there are rich and poor, but I'm saying that compared to other cultures, the divide is not as visible, Okay. And so the idea of a ring doesn't really quite work because we, we're quite consistent with the way that we look and we treat each other. But say, for example, the, the person with the gold ring actually means somebody else that we might admire in our society. What about a sports star? What if someone came to your place, to your place of meeting, to your gathering, and they were a movie star or a sports star or maybe an influencer or maybe a celebrity or maybe your favorite politician. That's where it starts to get a little bit more interesting for us. What if, if actually I recognize that my place at the table is fairly safe? This is my position. I help myself. I know who I am in Christ. I can be part of the gathering. I can be part of the meeting, and I'm okay. And actually, you might not know that about yourself. You might not know that Jesus loves you and he actually wants to have a relationship with you. And all you have to do is to call out to him. But actually, my place at the table is fairly safe. And maybe the people that I like, I can invite into my table as well, my meeting place, my gathering. Come along, friend. You and I agree on pretty much everything. You might be a no-voter, and I'm a no-voter, so we can get along pretty well with each other. Or you might be a yes-voter, and I'm a yes-voter, and we can get along with each other. Or we might agree on a whole range of things. We might actually dress the same way. We might have the same sort of uh, music that we listen to, or we just get along really well with each other. 
That's the person that I think wears the golden ring in our context, in our lives. The people that we like, the people that we can get along. And actually, that's not necessarily bad because this place is a place of grace, okay? So this person that I like is not necessarily evil and I'm not needing to get them out of the way. I'm just thinking that perhaps the faith that we're describing here is a faith of comfort. It's actually a faith that is all about our control. And it's not a fullest expression of faith. It's a portion of faith. But actually, it's all about what happens here. And I can control it and I can manage it. James then says, what about this person? What about the person, again, the idea of daggy clothes or, or someone who doesn't dress appropriately might not be applicable in our context. But what about the person who doesn't think the way that you do? What about the person who hasn't got the same status as you do societally? What about if they have identity issues, gender issues? What if they're brokenhearted? What if they have disabilities? What if their minds aren't working properly? And they want to sit at the table. That starts to rub in a slightly different way. Because I'm not sure my faith, in other words, my comfort and my control can handle this person that wants to sit at the table. In other words, I want you to behave a certain way. I want you to believe the right things before you belong in this space. And that's very dangerous when it comes to what Jesus is trying to do. Now, why does it work? Why could it work? Why would it be possible for someone that doesn't belong in my circle be able to come into a place like this and actually sit at the table. The reason it works is because of somebody else. The reason it works is because there is someone who actually sits at the centre of the table, someone who offered himself so that you and I didn't have to work this out by ourselves, but actually Jesus sits at the centre of the table and he says, you belong, I belong, you belong. It's not about what you believe or you behave or, 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 or how you belong. It's about centering ourselves on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He's the one that makes this work. He's the one that makes that possible. And so James is serious when he says, don't show favoritism. I like this. I don't like this. But James is saying, it has to happen because that's how people that don't know Jesus come to Jesus. That's how people that don't know how to look after themselves learn how to look after themselves. That's how we, as believers, point to Jesus and say, you need Jesus in your life. I relinquish, this is what I'm doing here, I'm relinquishing my seat as the head of the table and I sit as a common person because I've been shown mercy, I've been shown grace, and I've been shown love and forgiveness. Jesus becomes the center of my table once again. And so, as I invite the band to come back up, here's the challenge. What type of gathering is undone? What type of gathering is happening online? Are you willing to have someone come into this space and actually challenge the way that you think about things or even uh, live differently in a way that doesn't work for you? What does it mean to not show favoritism in a place like this? Now, if you don't get it right in this space, 
How are you going to get it right outside of a service, out in the real world where you're working with someone or studying with someone or you have family issues? How are you going to not show favoritism in that space? Because if you can't show favoritism, if you show favoritism there, how are you going to not show it in this space? It goes both ways. I reckon we can do really well in this space. As an undone community, as a Door of Hope community, this is our opportunity. We can be people that actually welcome others so that they can be part of this community of, of believers, so that they can be part of Jesus' community with us. So it's not only the words that we use, but it's the actions. How are we going to behave? What am I going to do? It might be hospitality at your house. It might be hospitality that happens here. How are we going to be inclusive? Why don't we stand together as I pray and we finish. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to acknowledge your presence with us uh, this evening. No matter where we are at with you, uh, we just want to stand before you and acknowledge your goodness for us, for me personally, your loving grace, mercy. You brought me into your family and you made me uh, sit at your table. And I know that's true for many people here tonight. And Lord, I pray for those that don't know what that means, that relationship with Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would call out to you right now, that they would be able to receive the love that you have for them, that they would come to know that they are forgiven because of what you've done on the cross. Listen to their cry for help, Father. And maybe for, all, for the rest of us that have been on this journey for a while, Lord, I pray that you would shake us, that we would become people that not only speak the right thing, that have our hearts in check, but that we would behave the right way by our actions in how we talk to other people. Lord, use me, use us. Let Undone, let Door of Hope be known as a place where we can um, bring people together, not because of what I do, not because of what we do, the, the systems or the things that we've got in place, but because you are the head of this church. You are at the center of the table, and it's because of the things that you've done that you can allow us to sit there. So Lord, may you be glorified through our lives. Keep speaking to us through your spirit, I pray. And as we're seeing this idea of coming to the altar, Lord, may you see our hearts right now. We just want to open ourselves up to you and we want to say, Lord, whatever is not true of you, do that work in me right now. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to worship you right now as we come to this idea of the altar, as we come into your presence and say, use me, Lord. Build my life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.